And, and he's been here before, and I know that some of you have uh, heard his story before. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but I'll never forget the first time I heard Don Piper's story. And that was, uh, Leslie was actually reading the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. We were on vacation, and she was telling me the, the story. And um, she's telling me this story, and this will make sense after Don tells his story in just a moment. But she was telling me the story as we're driving down a very narrow road with bridges and trucks coming toward my car. As, as, and I'm like, please stop telling me the story. Because <laughs> it, it was getting a little scary, and, and you'll know why in, in just a few minutes. But, but uh, I was so intrigued, I, I read the book for myself. And, and there's a certain perception when you hear 90 minutes of heaven, you think, oh, this is what the book's going to be about. And you have kind of this idea in your mind. And I want to tell you, I was so profoundly impacted by that book on so many different levels that today you may think that you've come to church to hear a certain story. But I'm going to tell you that the Holy Spirit may have a lot more for you than what you're expecting. And so I want you to be open to what God is going to speak to your life today because it, it, it is, God is so big. He's going to speak to every area of your life. And he's going to do that this morning. So when, when the opportunity to have Don came about, it was like, absolutely can't wait. Uh, come as often as possible to tell your story. Now, he's going to tell you a big thing that's going to happen. But uh, I'll spill the beans just a little bit. They're about to make this book into a major motion picture. And uh, he'll tell you a little bit more about that. So I'm waiting uh, to get my call as Don's stunt double. Um, so, uh, would you please welcome Don Piper as yeah. he comes to minister the word this morning? So, it'll work. Now, wait up, stay, stop looking. We did this last night. Yeah. What do you think? I could do it. I could do it. Uh, it's been such a thrill to be with the Merrills these two days, and uh, yeah, they are making a, a movie. My, uh, the the guy who's playing me in the movie is a guy named Hayden Christensen who played uh, Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars movies. And so my kids have already started calling me Darth Preacher. <laughs> Kate Bosworth is going to play my wife. And uh, it, it's just kind of daunting. Uh, I'm, I'm meeting with Anna, uh, Anakin, I'm meeting with Hayden, Hayden tomorrow. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, he, you know, it's kind of bizarre to have someone playing you. And so uh, it's interesting, uh, he, he, when he emailed me, he said, uh, but it's also just as interesting to play someone else other than yourself. So I'm looking forward to meeting him, and uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit. I never dreamed that um, it would ever come to this making a movie about it. I, I, I think I mentioned last night, I'm, I'm still amazed that my life is for sale at Walmart. And so it just takes a little getting used to, to say the very least. Well, it's good to be back, and we're delighted that you're here today. Those of you who are watching, uh, streaming, um, we're honored that you uh, tuned in today. It's just a pleasure to be here at Christian Life, and I want to welcome you. You've already been welcomed, but let me say a, a hello to you as well. We're delighted that you came and we hope that you come back. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but they do this every week, right about this time. So come back when I'm not here. Uh, hey, you need a church home. Everybody needs one. 
And this is a good one here. Great things are happening here. You've already seen some of the things that are coming up, and I hope you'll commit yourself uh, to come back and be in God's house. It's a, it's a fellowship experience. It's a learning experience, and we should gather together, and uh, I encourage you to, to come back. I'm glad to be here today myself. This is my first speaking event of the year, so uh, I pray for me and I pray for you uh, as the year goes by because it's going to be an interesting one. I can promise you that. I know already uh, that a, a lot of amazing things are going to happen this year. What I'm going to do this morning is share a testimony uh, based on the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, a book I wrote so I would never have to talk about it. And um, it, it's, this is the 10th anniversary edition of the book. And so uh, if you have a copy of the book, unless you just got one today, this is the new one. <clears throat> this has about 5,000 additional words because you know, we, uh, we wanted to update it. You know, we wrote a book and we left it off with a chapter called The Why Questions. And uh, now we've answered them. And uh, they're in this book. And then there's a big section in the middle for, uh, for pictures of things that have happened in the past 10 years. And so uh, we're really proud of the way this turned out. So it's a brand new edition of the book. I think we have some pictures of some of the books <clears throat> so you can kind of see them. And the reason I'm doing this is because we have some very nice folks helping us out at the table and they may not be as acquainted with them. Uh, and so when you go up and ask a question about the books, they, they may not be able to answer your questions. They're doing a great job, but uh, I kind of blindsided them with additional books. So 90 Minutes is available in large print, and uh, there's actually a young person's edition of the book, kind of a kid's edition of the book, that leaves out some of the more graphic details of what happened. Uh, and because it's aimed at kids and it's written for kids, and there's edition of that. And there's also an audio book out there. Some people want to listen while they're driving or something else. Uh, so we've got to, kind of got that covered. Daily Devotionals is a book um, that has 90 stories in it that I've collected since uh, I wrote the first book. And so it's an opportunity to start every day or finish the day or maybe at lunchtime uh, with a devotional uh, based on 90 Minutes in Heaven with some scriptures and some prayers in there. Hey, it's the beginning of a new year. If you're not doing that, that this would be a great time to do that. And then I wrote a book called Heaven is Real, Lessons on Earthly Joy. It's a book who are going through, people are going through tragedy, difficulty, pain, suffering, and they want to figure out how to get through it. And that's what that book is about, Heaven is Real. And it's for people who are living a life, but maybe not as effectively as they wanted to because they're going through a, a long, dark night. It's based on the premise, if you know where you're going, shouldn't you be living a better life than you are? And then the final book is actually now in paperback. The last time I was here, it was a hardback book, and uh, now it's in paperback, so it's a lot less expensive. And it's a book on how to live your life every day, uh, based on John 13 through 17. How then shall we live? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned by the responses to the book, but afterwards I'll be out in the lobby there, and I'll be glad to uh, talk to you or sign books if you want them signed. I tell people, uh, a lot of times I'll sign it and say, now save this because one of these days this autograph will be worth nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You know, some of them are. If you've got, uh, you got a book signed by the, one of the old Cubs or one of those guys, you know, that'd be worth something. Mine, nada. A lady walked up to me with a copy of this book some time ago, and she handed it to me, and the book was in terrible shape torn, dirty, 
And I almost commented on the condition of the book, but I'm glad I didn't. She handed it to me and she said, would you sign my book? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to. So I'm signing her book. And she said, this book belonged to my daughter. I said, oh, it was your daughter's book? Yes. She said, yes. It was in her backpack when she got off the school bus and was run over and killed. I said, this is your daughter's book? Yes. I said, was your daughter a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah, she said, my daughter was very devoted to the Lord. She was a great source of inspiration to me. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry for your temporary separation from her. It's real, but it won't last. She said, I couldn't bring myself to read it for a while. But then I started reading it, and I, I couldn't put it down then, and I began to read it, and I, I didn't realize, of course, I hadn't opened it, that she had written a lot of stuff in the book. I mean, she had drawn in the margins. She drew arrows to things. She underlined things. And she wrote, it was like she was writing to me. It was like she was telling me what was important. And as I finished reading your book, Mr. Piper, I realized I was not ready to go to heaven. And so I gave my heart to Jesus. I know where I'm going now. Do you? Are you sure? Well, we're taking reservations this morning. <laughs> Been praying for a while, you know, about this day. So this is kind of an intersection or kind of a rendezvous with destiny. You will not leave here today without having deciding where you're going. Now, maybe you already have, and praise God for that. But this is a, this is a confrontation. I'll admit it head on. Because I got killed on the way to church. Not this morning, but I could have. I did. I got killed on the way to church. I think that ought to say something to you. I think it ought to say, at least, that you've got to be prepared. I mean, you have to be ready all the time. You're not going to be able to hit the pause button when you're looking at a big truck coming for you and say, wait a minute, all that stuff I heard about Jesus when they drug me to church, I guess that must be true. I get it. No, that's not going to happen. We just don't have that chance. I mean, sometimes people have a deathbed experience, and I've been there where it happened. It's a holy moment. It's an awesome thing. But don't wait till then. I was killed instantly. I didn't have a chance to lay there and think about eternity and whether there was life after death or anything else like that. I want to read some um, verses from Revelation 21 today because I, I want to talk about heaven. At least that's where we're going to start. And uh, if you're... Um, if you're interested in heaven, let me recommend this chapter uh, highly. There are some other great chapters in the Bible about heaven. But I, I decided to read this this morning, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Anytime the Bible says there's no longer any sea, what it's saying is nothing separates us from God. Back when this was written, you can remember that there was, the transportation system didn't exist. I mean, it was hard to get from one place to another. I mean, just to get from Joppa over to Jerusalem, I mean, that could take days, you know, on a donkey or walking. So uh, the transportation system, <laughs> very, very poor. And in fact, if you were going to Jerusalem, and everybody was supposed to go to Jerusalem at one time in their life at least, and if you were going to some place like Cyrene, in where Libya is today, you would have to get on a boat that the Phoenicians built, and it was one of those things with the oars out the side, and go across the Great Sea. 
Well, that's what they call the Mediterranean Sea in those days, but it was a great sea to them because this is a long way over there to uh, Joppa and uh, to get off the boat and then go into Jerusalem. And even then when you got there, you couldn't get in the city because there was so many people. You kind of camped out outside of town. So it was difficult. Things were challenging in those days. So when the Bible says the great sea, it means what separates us. And then it's, what it's saying here is there's no longer any sea because nothing separates us from each other and from God. Isn't that great? That's, that, that's kind of what heaven is like. Now there's a river in heaven that flows from the throne of God, but there's not a sea anymore. Nothing separates us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now listen to this. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I've been married for 42 years. I can still remember that night when I walked out and stood right about here in that particular church and watched my future father-in-law escort my wife to be down the aisle. I'll never forget it. I mean, you just don't forget stuff like that. And I was as nervous as I could be, and my knees were knocking, and my hands were sweating, and I was overwhelmed by the anticipation of what we were about to do, and that was three children and two grandkids ago. It's been a roller coaster. Life usually is, isn't it? But you know, I don't forget that, and I anticipated that, and I was excited about our life together and how God has blessed us and the times that I've taken care of her when she had both of her knees replaced and the, the times she took care of me and the good times and the, the difficult times and everything in between. But I was excited about it. And, and the Bible says we ought to be. We ought to anticipate heaven that way. But we don't, do we? We don't think about heaven instead of a wedding. We're having a funeral. And there's a casket up here, and someone just died, and we're getting ready to go to the cemetery shortly. Then we think about heaven, because we're confronted with our mortality. So instead of a wedding, where I'm looking at the bride coming down the aisle, we think about heaven when we have a body up here, and we're going to the cemetery. I think the priorities are real out of whack here, because if we were excited about heaven like a groom looking at his bride, we'd be trying to get more people into heaven. Because it's just like that, you know, that's how quickly our lives are. We'll take our last breath here and our next breath somewhere else. Hell is just as real as heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Three times. With. Anytime the Bible says three times in a row, that's a very holy moment with God. So if you want to know the best thing about heaven is you're with God. Now, there's a lot of other cool stuff in heaven, but with God. Now we're trying to conjure him up. We're trying to pray him up. We hope he shows up. And of course, he's here already. It's us that drift away. But in heaven, we'll be with God, with him in his immediate presence. What an awesome concept that is. And here's the practical stuff, because there needs to be some practical stuff, because this is where you're living now. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I, I guarantee you, there are people in this room last night, right now, tonight, this morning, last night, there are people here who've been crying within the past day or two. Now, it might have been for something good, but the truth is, it probably wasn't. 
No tears in heaven. They'll be wiped away. There's nothing to cry about. <laughs> it's just all good. I mean, we hear that expression, so it's all good. No, in heaven it's all good. All good. All of it's good. Nothing bad. There will be no more death. Now, I'm excited about this prospect because I'm tired of funerals. In the, in the past 10 years, since I was killed in the car wreck and came back, I've, among the other people, I buried my best friend, my father, my mother-in-law. My great uncle died the day before yesterday. I was very close to him. 93 years old. My brother had a heart attack on Friday night. Rushed to the hospital, four stents put in. If he hadn't got there when he got there, he wouldn't be here today. I'm tired of death. I, I'm just tired of death. Heaven, no more death. No one ever dies. Isn't this great? Because you're going to die. The death rate here is 100%. On earth, no death in heaven. No one dies. They live forever. This is practical stuff here. There's no more death or mourning. That, that's kind of the cousin of death. That's, that's the response to death. Or crying. Now here it is again when it says there's no more tears. Now it's saying crying. So when God emphasizes stuff through his word, he's wanting you to get it. And here's my favorite, or pain. Can I get a witness? There's no more pain. Now I don't care what age you are, you've experienced pain. You know what my doctor told me one time as I lay there in the bed after months? He said, well, pain just means you're still alive. And I think he was kind of kidding, maybe sort of. And I looked at him and I said, I must be the most alive person on the planet. <laughs> he didn't laugh. There's no more pain. In heaven, there's no more pain. And you know, I'm, there's a lot of pain besides physical. There's emotional pain. There's psychological pain. There's even, there's even sometimes spiritual pain. None of that in heaven. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne says, says, I am making everything new. So you got folks who say, I don't read the Bible because it's just really an old book about old stories. I think it says there, I'm making everything new for the old order of things has passed away. So heaven is a whole new place. It's under construction right now. I think when it's finished, Jesus is coming back. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. So who better than a Jesus, a heavenly carpenter, to build us a better place? It's under construction. Well, I found this out the hard way. And if you read on, you're going to find out about the Gold Street and everything else in this particular chapter. But I got killed on the way to church, and I was at a conference center, and this next picture should be the conference center. I, I left this conference center uh, on a Wednesday morning uh, about 1130 uh, headed back to my home, or my church actually, uh, south of Houston, Texas, in a town called Alvin. I was about 130 miles away from that church. I would get there in time to answer, a, you know, some phone calls. I'd been there for three days, so this is before cell phones, so, you know, you just had to get in your office and catch up with stuff. And I wanted to get there because I was leading a Bible study that night, Wednesday night, in my church, South Park Church, Alvin, Texas. So I left the conference center gates, and you can't see it there on the right-hand side, but there's a road, and you have to go one way or the other because the road goes past Trinity Pines. And so I decided to go to the right that day. I had never been that way before. I knew it was just about as close to go that way to go back to Houston as it was to the left. That would be a big decision. 
When you go that way, you have to go across a lake, and there's an old bridge over that lake, and that's it. It is still there today. It has been replaced by a four-lane highway, but the bridge remains because it's a memorial bridge built to honor veterans of World War I. You can walk out on the bridge. You can fish from the bridge. But that day, I was driving across the bridge. It is cold. I know you won't think it's cold, but it was cold. It's about 35. I mean, that's like bring out your lawn chair and put on, you know, lotion here. But it, in, it was cold, and it was raining. It was just a miserable day. But I don't care. I'm on my way to church. I got a stack of sermons on the seat beside me because the next Sunday morning I'm going to begin a new sermon series in our church. I actually have a copy of one of those 15 sermons that was laying on the seat of my car because a policeman found it on the floor of my car and thought my family might like it as a keepsake. It's a sermon called, I Believe in a Great God. I have it in my office at home. It is covered in my dried blood. It was on the seat beside me as I'm driving under that bridge. At the opposite end of the bridge, the highway goes up, steep embankment. So if you come from the opposite direction, you're going to go down onto the bridge. An 18-wheeler is going down onto the bridge. He's driving about 65 in a 45-mile-an-hour uh, zone, and I'm about off of the bridge. And um, a car pulls out at the other end of the bridge at the last minute. That driver of that truck has to decide what to do because there's no way he's going to avoid that collision. There's not enough space to stop that truck going downhill too fast. He decides to go around that car, and when he did, he came over into my lane and he hit me head on. Horrific collision. He just drives the truck right over the top of me because the, the car just moved over to the railing of the bridge. And this next picture is from the newspaper the next morning. He just kind of went right up over the top of my car and went off back into the lane he was supposed to be in. Then he hit uh, another car. And so four vehicles now are involved in this terrible accident. Actually hit two more cars. And so it's just the, the bridge is blocked. It's a mess. And... Um, they're waiting for police, the ambulances to get there. They did. It's a very rural area, so it took them a long time for them to be there. They start working the accident, and they find out miraculously that of all these collisions and all these torn up vehicles, no one else is hurt but me. Uh, they, they had four ambulances out there. So they, they treated the, the victims. There was only one person in each vehicle. And they were treated and released. The driver of the truck, the driver of the other two cars, which meant that now there's four paramedics there together and they're working on me. Well, that would be very rare for to have that many medical people, but it's obvious I'm in terrible shape. And they're trying to do everything they can, not just to sustain me, but revive me, because it's obvious I am dead. And they're trying everything they've ever thought of, maybe some things they've never thought of, and they're trying to revive me, trying to resuscitate me. They did everything, and they were unsuccessful. They pronounced me, four paramedics, they pronounced me dead on the scene. The body is under that tarp in the front of my car. Dead on the scene. Which I think brings up an interesting question. What am I doing in Mount Prospect? <laughs> Which is the same question I'm going to ask you. What are you doing here? I mean, really, what do you have to show for your life up to this point? We'll come back to that, I promise. So they're waiting for a coroner. Anytime you have a fatality like this, you have to have an investigation. Who's responsible for killing this man? So everything's at a standstill. 
uh, and they're having trouble getting to the coroner out there because there apparently were other accidents in that county and he's working his way up to the bridge. And so it's a standstill. Traffic's backing up from miles in both directions now. Back behind me is not only the local traffic, but all those preachers who's left the conference and they're trying to get to where they're supposed to go, but they're not going anywhere now. Some of them left their cars and walked up the bridge. One of them was a gentleman by the name of Dick Onorecker. He and his wife pastored a church north of Houston. And uh, I, my church was south of Houston. So we're on the same highway on our way to do the same thing, lead a Wednesday night Bible study. Dick Onorecker comes up and he sees all this. He says to one of those policemen in the picture, Officer, I see there's been a terrible wreck here. I am a pastor. I would like to pray for the victims. And the policeman said, Well, that's awfully nice of you, Pastor, but there's no one to pray for. Everyone else is okay, actually. But the man on the red car there is dead. He didn't make it. And when he said that, the policeman, God spoke to the preacher, which I think is an excellent thing. Don't you want a preacher God speaks to? Don't you want to be a person God speaks to? I think God's doing a lot more speaking than we are listening. But he was speaking that day, and this guy's listening, and God said, pray for the man in the red car. Well, that didn't make any sense to him. That certainly wasn't part of his theology, praying for dead people. But he was obedient, which, of course, is always what God is interested in, obedience. He wants us to do things by faith. So by faith, this guy gets permission to get in that car and begins to pray over my dead body. He's in that car now, under that tarp behind me, because that's the only way he could approach me from behind. He gets under the tarp, lifts it up, examines me, and discovers the only thing I didn't break was my right arm. That's the only thing I didn't break in the accident. My son used to travel with me. He said I didn't break my right arm so I could sign books, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> Maybe. So Dick Onorecker's got his hand on my right shoulder from behind me, and he's praying for me. Now, I have brain damage. Blood's coming out of my ears, eyes, nose. I was impaled on the steering wheel, so I have massive internal injuries. The dashboard has collapsed on both of my legs. My right leg is broken exactly at the knee, so it didn't go this way anymore. It went the other way. And it hit right above my left knee and just cut my left leg in two. Four inches of femur, the largest bone in the human body, was ejected from that car over the railing of the bridge and never found. I put my arm up when the truck was coming for me. Don't remember the collision, but when I put my arm up, the truck ran over me at exactly that moment and took my arm into the back seat of the car. And from here forward was lying on the back seat of the car. So Dick's reaching over this part of my arm in the back seat to put his hand on my shoulder. And he's praying because God told him to, but he's not the only person praying by this time because they did search the body to find out who I was, and when they found my ID, they called my home in Friendswood, south of Houston. Friendswood's right beside Alwyn. And no one was at home. My wife was teaching school that day. Well, she taught school for 34 years, and uh, she was in her classroom. So they called her at home. She wasn't there. They wouldn't have known that. And um, she's the hero of the story. This is her book, A Walk Through the Dark. Over the years now, 26 next week, 26 years, January 18th, this happened next week. People have asked her, how in the world did you get through this? 
I mean, you had to take care of your husband, you had three kids, you had, you had to teach school because you had to have insurance to pay for the $6 million it cost to put him back together again. How did you do this? This is how she did it. How do you take care of someone else and yourself during a difficult time, a walk through the dark? I'm so proud of her. I told the folks last night, I'm, I've always wanted to be married to a famous author. <laughs> now I am. If you know somebody who needs some help, about getting through something. This would be a great book for them. A Walk Through the Dark. Eva was at school that morning. So they found my business card in the wallet, South Park Church. They called the church, told them I'd been in a terrible accident because that's where I was headed. And the church broke out into a prayer meeting and started calling every other church in the Houston phone book. That's a lot of churches. And this started spreading across the state, spread right through Illinois. I have relatives here. My grandmother was from Illinois. There's a little town in Illinois called Piperville, you can look it up. We got our own town. <laughs> and uh, believe me, it's not, it's just a wide place of the road. But, but, you know, they're trying to get in touch with everybody. So they, everyone starts praying worldwide. I'm not exaggerating this. I mean, over a period of time, the letters, the cards, the, and eventually emails, they began, I mean, it was unbelievable the people who reported they were praying at that time. I, you know, 26 years later now, I'm still meeting people for the first time who prayed for me that day on the bridge. Met four last year. And, and so they're praying, and God is listening. This goes on for an hour and a half because the accident happened at 11.45. It's now 1.15 in the afternoon. People are praying all over the world. 90 minutes have passed. I'm not there. Absent of the body, present with the Lord. That's where I'm at. I don't know they're praying down here. If I'd have known they were praying, I would have told them to stop. Because if you've been there, you don't want to be here. And so they're all praying, and God is listening. He hears everything. And so this is just an amazing thing. Dick Honorecker's in the car. He has now switched from doing verbal prayers to musical prayers, like we did a few minutes ago. And you guys did a great job. Wonderful praise band. We're praising... He's, pray, he's singing old songs. He's singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, that song. And he's holding onto my shoulder. People are praying all over the world. Most of them don't know me. And he certainly didn't know me. He's praying. He's singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And suddenly, without any warning, under the tarp, in the dark, I start singing with him. And he got out of the car quickly. See, in Texas, I would say pronto. But you know that. You know pronto. So he got out of the car. And he went over to one of those policemen. I don't know, have any idea which one. And he said, officer, the dead man is singing. And he had to convince them that that was true. They thought it was wishful thinking on his part. They came over, and now they're trying to get me out of the car. They've ordered the equipment to remove a living person. Because that's very different from removing someone who isn't. They had to tear the car open. This next picture is the car at the wrecking yard. It's, you see where the truck went over the top of it? Uh, the roof has been removed at the wrecking yard and put back on because that's how they got me out of the car. And that was a great <laughs> challenge for them. It took a long time to remove me from that car and uh, try to take me to a series of hospitals. The next picture actually shows a profile of where the steering wheel went into my chest and um, you know, the roof had collapsed on me. As I said, it's been taken off and put back on again. My legs were cra crushed by the dashboard. It was, uh, it, was, it was a horrible thing. 
They're trying to take me to the nearest medical facility. So this next uh, slide shows you kind of the hospitals I ended up going to. You say, why would you go to a bunch of hospitals? Because each hospital I went to couldn't take care of me. The, the, the catastrophic injuries that I had. I went to Trinity, it couldn't work there. I went to Huntsville, they stabilized me there. That's 85 miles from Houston. Now I live south of Houston. And so arrangements are being made for me to be transferred to a level one trauma center. The nearest one, Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston. World famous hospital. But I'm not, I'm not getting there uh, because helicopters were not able to fly that day. The weather prevented it. So now I'm in an ambulance careening towards Houston down I-45, 85 miles away. That accident that happened on the bridge at 11.45, I arrived at Memorial Hermann Hospital emergency room at 6.15, six and a half hours later. And from that night forward, I would be in a hospital bed for 13 months, and I would have 34 surgeries to try to put me back together again. So we decided as we were talking about this last night, there are at least two things that came out of this. Number one, God answers prayer. And number two, God is still in the miracle business today. And I know because I'm both of those things. I had nothing to do with being here because it was the prayers of the people. And, and the miraculous thing is, having been told I would never walk and probably not have a functional life, and because I had brain damage, I tell people before the accident, I was a genius, and this is all I got left now. <laughs> that I would never walk, and if they were able to put this arm back on, it would just hang by my side for the rest of my life, and if I wanted to move it, I'd have to reach over and pick it up. But I guess you noticed, when Pastor introduced me, I did walk over here on my own two legs, and this is that arm they said would never work again. So I believe in prayer, and I believe in miracles. And the reason that's important is if you live long enough, you're going to need some prayer and miracles. Yeah. We, we discussed this last evening in, in uh, John's Gospel in chapter 14. Jesus says, if you ask it in my, my name, I will do it. I mean, that's pretty direct, isn't it? Over to the little book of James in chapter 5, there's actually a question over there for anybody who thinks the Bible's not relevant. How about this question? Is any one of you in trouble? Now let's face it, if you live long enough, you know what the answer to that's going to be. Some of you are in trouble right now. Well, the answer to that question right behind it is, then he should pray. So the people prayed, and God said yes. Now he doesn't always say yes. Sometimes he says later, because you have to get on his schedule. He doesn't have to get on yours. Sometimes he says no, and I've lived long enough that I'm glad God answered some of my prayers no. If I'd have got what I asked for, it would have been a disaster. Sometimes the best prayer is, what should I pray for? Then pray for that. But my experience is that God is able to answer our prayers way beyond anything we can even imagine. Really, imagine. It's, it's, it's astounding. And so I, I, I am and answered prayer. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed? I mean, really prayed. What do you suppose would happen around this part of Illinois if you decided to pray for people who are not ready to go to heaven with the kind of passion Dick Honorecker did over my dead body? See, there wouldn't be any empty pews in here because a revival would be going on here. 
So it's, it's prayer, really. God wants to hear from his children. My dad would come and visit me in the hospital, and you need to get yourself ready for this next picture. It's pretty graphic. It's what I looked like in the hospital. I had lost my leg, and they had, a, they had to put a device on it that had never been used before uh, called an Ilzarov. It's uh, by a Russian doctor. Looks Russian, doesn't it? And um, uh, it's a bone-stretching device. Uh, wires go from those hoops, those, uh, those halos, through you, through the bone, and out the other side, and are connected on the other side. And so I had crisscrossing wires from my hip all the way down past my knee. About 36 open holes in my leg for over a year, turning screws on those halos every day to stretch the bones inside, hoping they would close the gaps where they were missing. The, the, the thing on my arm is another bone device, but it doesn't stretch the bones because they were able to transplant two smaller bones from my pelvis. They took bones out of my hip and they put them on my arm. And the skin, the skin that you see on my arm there came from my right leg. They took it off the leg and they put it on the arm. Medical people have a wonderful knack for finding things you didn't even hurt and hurt that for you to fix the other stuff. <laughs> and so there I am. And I was that way for a long, long time. My dad would come and see me. My dad would travel 250 miles one way. He and my mother. You might understand that my mother didn't come in the room very often. Dad fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam in the U.S. Army. He'd seen everything. My dad is an authentic American hero. He has a chest full of medals to show for it. This old sergeant sitting at the end of that bed, quiet in the room, just the two of us. My father gets up and he walks around. And he takes hold of my hand, the, other, the only thing I didn't break. My dad, when his old arthritic, crumpled hand is holding my hand, my father, the old sergeant, looks down at me and says, Son, I would give anything to trade places with you. My dad. I might have been 38 years old, but as far as he was concerned, I was his little boy. He hated to see me hurt like that. I understand. I have three children and grandchildren. Certainly wouldn't want to see anything like this happen to them. I did get better, and he got worse. All those wars caught up with him. And so I would find myself driving 250 miles the other way to visit him in the hospital and hospice. Instead of being a 190-pound man who could lift a refrigerator, he's now 100 pounds. He's lying in a bed in a fetal position, and I'm holding his hand. I can't exaggerate to you what the expression on his face looked like when one of his children would come and talk to him. God the Father wants to hear from his children. You were created for fellowship with God. When's the last time you talked to him? I, uh, I had to have a lot of miracles to be here today. I, 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 it just, you know, I did have brain damage. I was uh, impaled on a steering wheel. Dick Honorecker was praying on the bridge for those things. He knew the signs of brain damage. He knew that I was impaled on the steering wheel. He's praying that I would be delivered from those injuries. And when I got to Houston, I didn't have them anymore. 
See, I, I, I could go on. I mean, the miracles that had to happen for me to stand in front of you today defy description. And I, I believe in miracles. Some people think that they ended when the, when the cannon was closed. And the truth is, God's doing some of his best stuff today. I, I talked a little bit last evening about a lady who walked up to me with a copy of this book, clutching it like this, in a church. This has been this, this past year. She walked up and she's holding it like this. And she leaned down. Now, there's all kinds of people in line to see me. But she's holding the book and she leans down and she said, you sent me this book in jail. That's her first words. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I said, we send a lot of books to people in jail because that's the only way they can get them. No one can take it to them. It has to be sent. She said, yes. And, and I was at my ropes in. I was in jail for my fifth DWI. She was in her 60s. And I was out of options. I couldn't do community service anymore. I couldn't do anything. I, I just failed. And now I've gotten drunk again. I've gotten arrested. I'm in jail for a month. And I, I didn't think I was going to make it. But I heard about your book and I sent for it because I needed a new normal like you had to find. You know, I was not going to be the way I was before. And so I read that part and I knew that's what I needed. And I just got on my knees and I just asked God, help me. I can't go on like this way. This thing owns me and I got to overcome it. Help me. And he did, she said. And then I, I, I finished. I, I did good time and I got out. And, and I want you to pray for me. I came today because I want you to pray for me. Two weeks from the day in this church where we're standing right now, she said, I'm going to start a Celebrate Recovery group for alcoholics and drug addicts. I'm going to try to help them overcome. I think that's a miracle. I think God's doing some of his best stuff today. Maybe you need one. You've come to the right place. I had a tough time getting through this. Week after week, month after month, I just lay there in the bed. I think, let's skip over the next picture of the device uh, and go directly to the last picture. Yeah. There it is. Uh, you can see where they took the skin off my right leg to put on my left arm, and you can see where the leg was broken at the knee, and then the devices, and it was just awful. Day after day, night after night, I was a 38-year-old man who couldn't do a single solitary thing for myself at all. Think about that. And so I, I, got, I, got, I hit the bottom. One morning at 3 a.m. in that bed, in that hospital, 21st floor, I hit the bottom. There's one good thing that can happen when you hit the bottom. You can push off. And so that morning I did. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm shaking my fist at God, which didn't bother him a bit. He's God. He would rather be angry at him and frustrated than to ignore him. I don't understand why this happened to me. I was on my way to church. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Can't you send somebody here who understands what this is like? I want to talk to somebody. Everyone is nice to me. I don't want nice anymore. I want to talk to somebody. I want to hold the hand of somebody who's going through this so I can talk to them and find out how it's going to turn out. That's what I need. And God speak to me through some music I was listening to at that time. They're going to put both of these songs in the movie. I'm so glad about that. And here's what he says to the music. This is not about you, son. It's about me. What I can now do through you that I could never do before the truck hits you. Son, you need to turn your test into a testimony. You need to take your mess and find a message that's going to bless someone else. Because you understand how they feel. See, I've been looking at it all wrong. 
Don't we have a tendency to do a me, me, me thing when we're going through, why did this happen to me, what's going on, did, did I deserve me, 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 and God said it, not you, it's others, because you can now hold the hand of other people and you'll understand how they feel and they'll get it. You need to take your pain and find a purpose for it. You need to look at the disappointments that you're enduring and have endured and look for divine appointments. I mean, you lost your spouse. Well, you can either shake your fist at God and say, why did you take my wife? I've heard people say that. Or you can do this. I lost my wife and I heard you lost yours. I'd like to shake your hand and, and maybe we can get to this together. You see the difference? Bitter. Better. Now that's a word for somebody in here. I mean, your house burned down, you, commit, you, you, you went through bankruptcy, you've gone through just a nightmare. And so you can just be frustrated with God or you can take that and bless someone else. Because they need to hear from you. That's where I was. And you know when the sun came up that morning, this is 3 a.m., that's not what happened, this is a picture of what, what it looked like, but at 3 a.m., that's happened. In the morning when the sun came up, the windows, you know, the blinds were open and it was the first day of the rest of my life. Because I found the new normal that morning. I was not going to be the way I was before, but I could make a difference in the lives of other people because I understood what they were going through. You can do that. Like the lady who lost her daughter when she got off the school bus. You can do that. I'll pray for you that today will be the first day of the rest of your life. That today you'll turn the page and move on. I know you lost your kid, but that kid belonged to you before it belonged to, I mean, it belonged to God before it belonged to you. He just loaned them to you. Have you noticed this? We don't really belong to each other. We're just loaned to each other. We belong to God. You'll see him again. When the truck hit me, I was standing at the gates of heaven immediately. I didn't go down a long tunnel. There wasn't a bright light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't have a near-death experience. An hour and a half does not qualify for near-death. I mean, the moment the truck struck me, just like that, I was standing at the gates of heaven. Now, a lot of people pass away. So there is a sense of leaving earth and going to heaven, if that's where they're going. And... So you can sometimes see them set up in bed or they'll reach out to someone else or begin talking. And that's because they're seeing where they're going. It's a very holy moment when that happened. But that didn't happen to me because I got hit. I mean, it was a hundred mile an hour collision between his speed and mine. So it was just instantaneous and it was instantaneous for me. I'm surrounded by people I had known and loved in life. Over their heads is this magnificent gate. If you read further on here, you'll find out in 20, Revelation 21, there's 12 gates to heaven. 12 gates. I mean, one of them, of course. Everybody has their own gate, depending on what tribe you're from in this earth. And so I'm at the gate, and it's just awesome. Looks like the inside of an oyster. It's a pearly gate. Really, a gate made of pearl, it's dazzling. I thought it was a living gate. It's not alive, it's just the light reflecting off the gate. And the light is God. There's no artificial light in heaven. They don't even have a sun in heaven. S-U-N. It's, it's God. Jesus illuminates heaven with his glory and majesty. So you would be blinded by the light of heaven with your earthly eyes, but you won't have earthly eyes there. So I'm dazzled by this light. It's fantastic. And I'm, 
I'm standing in the glow of that beautiful gate. Large, ornate, but the entrance is quite small. You, you go in one at a time. It's personal. So here are these people standing around me. The first person I saw was my grandfather. I had been with him when he died. Told you my dad was career army, and he was, which meant he was almost always gone. My mother raised us three boys almost by herself till we were about, I was about 15. I'm the oldest. What a lady. Pray for my mother. She has dementia. She's in assisted living. What a horrible disease. You know, the body's there and, and the spirit is gone. Well, my mom did that and I thank God for her. I'm, I'm looking forward to being with her in her right mind again. Well, I'm looking at my grandfather. My grandfather was the, really the, the source of inspiration in my life because dad was always gone. My grandfather was a carpenter. He was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. But he could take lumber and nails and build places like this. I thought he was a genius. I followed him around like a puppy when I was a little boy. I just wanted to be like Papa, and I'm still trying to be like him. But one night he died. I got the phone call when I was about 30, 31. What a shock that was. I went to the hospital. I, I, I was the one who, who actually rode with him in the ambulance to the hospital. And, and I, I got the news first and had to call home to tell everyone Papa's, Papa's gone. It broke my heart. I have a lot of broken bones, but broken heart, now that hurts. So I saw him in his casket there at the church, the last, and he didn't look good. Now I'm standing at the gates of heaven, and he looks really good. I mean, really good. I mean, he was missing fingers on both hands in this life, and he's extended his hands to me at the gates of heaven, and all of his fingers are there. He spoke a language I've never heard before, but fully understood, and these were his words. Welcome home, Donnie. That's what he called me when I was here. You will not sneak up on heaven. Everybody up there knows who's coming. If you have given your heart to Christ on the day you did that, they had a huge celebration in heaven. Truthfully, they're still celebrating because they know you're coming. They write your name in a registration book called the Lamb's Book of Life. They're expecting you. They don't miss you. They're expecting you. Because remember, there's no time in heaven. It's eternal. So they're not going around, I can't wait till she gets here. I can't wait. No, no, they're expecting you. And no time is passing there. So in a very literal manner of speaking, when you get to heaven, you'll just pivot and the people you love will be right behind you. Because maybe decades pass here. Not in heaven. There are no decades. Isn't that great? They were expecting me. There's Papa. There's my great-grandmother. There's my next-door neighbor, Miss Norris. There were aunts and uncles and teachers and some classmates from high school over here. Classmates from high school? Yes, both of them were killed in tragic accidents in our senior year. If you look at my yearbook in my senior year, there's a memorial page for both of those guys. Great guys. Both football players, but, but one of them was really a good football player. I mean, he got a full scholarship to play football at LSU, but he never played it down. Killed in a car crash in Thanksgiving, coming home from a hunting trip. Forever 18. Great. Well, they were, here he was. He was standing over here, and you couldn't miss him because he was about six foot four and weighed 200 pounds on earth. I mean, he's the kind of person you would sit next to at lunch in the cafeteria because if you turned away, he would eat all the food on your plate <laughs> before you turned back around. 
Mike was there. You know, Mike used to take me to church because my parents didn't go. He used to take me to church before I had a driver's license because he was in my Bible study class. And he'd say, I'm going to pick you up Sunday morning. I'd say, oh, okay. And if I didn't show up at church, he would see me in school on Monday morning and say, where were you yesterday? We had a great Bible study. Hey, when we were 18-year-olds when he died, talk about devastating. We were 18. Here's, eight, here's Mike. He's, eight, he's laying in his casket. There he was to meet me at the gates. You know why all these people were here? They helped me get there. The people who greeted me at the gates of heaven were the people who helped me get there. What a stunning revelation that was. I mean, they literally took me to church in some cases. They told me about Jesus. They gave me a Bible. They lived a Christian life in front of me so I knew what one was. And they met me at the gates of heaven. And I came back from there with this question. If we meet people at the gates of heaven that we help get there, and we will, who are you going to greet? See, I asked you what you were doing in Mount Prospect. That's what we should be doing in Mount Prospect. It's helping everyone else get to heaven. You wonder why you're here? You're here to help everyone else get there. And you've got a lot of work to do. I'm looking at some gaps here. You've got a lot of work to do. At school. At work. In your neighborhood. Among your family and friends. God help you help others know him. Over the heads of these people were the gates, and I'm excited about them because I knew they lived there and they would come in behind me, and they did fall in behind me, and I'm now moving forward. I'm moving through layers of aroma, smells, magnificent smells that I've never smelled here. I moved through a buffet for senses. It was that stunning, that overwhelming. It's the most real thing that ever happened to me. I'm moving through angels. They're all over the place. Some are standing, some are flying. In fact, I not only heard their voices, I heard their wings. What a what a comforting sound it was to hear the wings of angels, knowing that there's the one, they're the ones who bear us up, and they're there to greet us. We do not become angels in heaven. We're actually above them in God's scheme of things. But how magnificent they are. Some have six wings, some have two, some have none. I'm passing through the angels, and I'm, I'm emerging into music. I saw colors there I've never seen here. And now I'm surrounded by music. Music is obviously one of God's very special creations. And, and even though we've done some things with it that, that were never intended, I heard thousands of songs up there I've never heard before. Many thousands I had heard before. And, and here's the amazing thing. There was no chaos among all this music because all of the songs fit together. I could distinguish each one of them with my heavenly ears. One song, however, soared above all of them. One song. Holy, holy, holy. Hey, we sang it earlier. Holy, holy, holy. And you know why we sang holy there? Because he is. He's holy. And we're not. So how did I get to heaven? Because I'm certainly not holy. I got witnesses. I'll tell you how. A morning like this. I'm sitting on the third row of the church. And the pastor saying, who wants to go to heaven? We're taking reservations this morning. Come and give your heart to Christ. And I was like in a three-point stance. 
I knew I was lost. I knew I needed to be found. I knew I needed a savior. Mike had told me. Miss Norris, my next door neighbor, had told me. My family members had told me. Even teachers had told me. And I, I just knew I had, and I left my seat, and I came down here, and I told the preacher, I want to go to heaven. And he said, son, this is the best decision you'll ever make. And he was right. What I did not know that morning is that 22 years later, on a lonely highway in East Texas, I would be run over by a truck and killed. Thank God I was ready. So are you? Whether you're 8 or 88, are you ready? We're taking reservations this morning. Well, I'm going in now. See, that's why I could be in presence of a holy God. Because Jesus made me holy when he washed away my sins when I was saved. That's the only way I was eligible. And so now I'm there and I want to go in. And, and because you get inside the gate, you can see this boulevard going down the middle of the city that really is gold. Gold so pure you can see through it. On both sides, magnificent structures. I would call them mansions. That's what Jesus called them. And you'll get one. Everybody gets one. I don't know how much time you want to spend in your mansion. I think I'm going to spend the first thousand years walking around talking to people I've always wanted to meet. Mary, Moses, you know what I'm talking about. And I think they'll want to talk to me because I think that's the way heaven is. Everybody fellowships together. We'll dine at the Lord's table. Is this great? He has a big table for all of his family members. And here's an even better news. You don't eat in heaven to stay alive. You eat for fellowship. We have been way ahead of the curve at the church for years on this. Yeah. But in heaven you won't put on any weight. Yeah, because you're not staying alive, you know? Isn't this great? See, that alone should cause you to want to go to heaven. So I want to go in and experience the fellowship. Hey, there's a hill lifted up in the middle of the city. It's almost a pinnacle. At the, at the top of that hill was the brightest light I've ever seen. It's the Lord lifted up. There are thrones up there. And so I wanted to go through this gate. It's about 28 feet thick. The wall is... Excuse me. And I wanted to go through that. And I, I, I you know, I, I had a sense of moving without walking, but I wanted to go down that street. I wanted to go up the hill, and I just wanted to fall at the feet of the great God of all creation and say, thank you for letting me come. Thank you. I never got a chance. I was emerging inside amongst all this music and all this aroma and all the greetings and and the glory and the majesty and the presence of God, and it stopped, just stopped. And suddenly I found myself in silence and darkness. And of course, my immediate response is, what's going on? I just got here. Before I could even say that, I heard a voice. And this voice wasn't in front of me. It was behind me. Dick Honorecker in that wrecked car, holding onto my shoulder, singing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. I was back. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know why he was singing. I didn't know why I was singing with him. And if I was confused at that point, imagine laying in the bed every day for 13 months and a couple of years of therapy and rehabilitation. Every day asking myself the same question, the same one you would have asked. God, why did you let me see that and take it away from me? And I have an answer. So I could be at Christian Life Church this morning and say to your face, 
heaven is real. And Jesus is the way. So I'm going to ask you this morning, point blank. If you were to die on the way home from church, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Why not make a reservation right now? The Bible says you can be sure of your salvation. Sure of it. This is not something you have to think, well, maybe I am. Maybe. No, no. If you're not sure, you need to take care of that today. And, and I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute, and I'm hoping you'll be listening because you don't have to pray the same prayer I'm doing, but it's the same words. It's the same, it's the same way. It's the, it's the intent as you bow your heart and your head before God and say, God, I am lost. I, I need a Savior. I want to be in heaven with you someday. Maybe somebody in here needs a new normal. You are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you need to get right today. You need to turn the page. You need to decide that I'm going to allow God to use me no matter what my difficulties, no matter what my history, no matter what disaster I've endured. I'm going to use this to bless someone else and then I know it'll bless me. Maybe you need to decide today you need to pray for your mother or your uncle or your best friend or the guy who works beside you at, at your workplace, or one of the kids that sits in algebra class with you, you want to pray with them by name. I believe specific prayers bring specific answers. Maybe you want to come down here and pray. You can go back to your seat. But I want you to get a picture of them in your eye. Just think about them. You know that, I, I really love her. I really love him. And I, I want to be in heaven with him, but I don't think he's going. Pray for them. And ask God this question. God, what can I do? Help me help them know you. And he will. I promise. That's why you're here. Not here, but here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everyone here today. Thank you for this church. I love churches who do stuff like this. Because it means they care about the community in which they live. So Lord, we pray for the church. But right now, individually, we, we need prayer. We need to hear from you. This is the service where everybody in the room can make a decision. Everybody can decide something today. Some of it may be, Lord, I'm just not living the life I know you want me to live, and I want to step it up today. I want, I want a new normal. I'm, I just don't want to be the way I have been. I want to turn the page. I want you to use me, God. I just put myself at your disposal. I'll put my life on the altar. Take it and use it any way you see fit. With heads bowed and eyes closed, someone here needs to be thinking about someone you love that maybe you even asked them to come today and they said no. Thank you. No. And it's because they just don't want to even hear the word. But you're the word in their life. And I just say, God, help me help the ones I love know you. Just use me that way. The people who met me at the gates of heaven were used that way. They helped me get there. And I came back thinking, I got work to do. Well, you do too. Is that you? You want to come to the altar and pray for them? You want to stay where you are and pray for them? There are probably some folks here this morning who are not ready to go to heaven. They're just not. And they know it deep down. And I'm talking to you. If you really can't say today with all certainty that if you were, God forbid, to be in an accident on the way home from church, and your life ended here, you would go to heaven. If you can't say that, you can say it right now. You can make reservations right now. So bow with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. 
All of us can do it because going through it is something that really confirms in our spirit where we're headed. But just pray with me right now. Just bow your heart and your head and say, Lord, I, I know, Jesus, I know you are real. I've heard about you all my life. But today, I accept what you did on the cross. I know you weren't just a good person who said good things. You're a savior. I am a sinner. I have done things that are disobedient to God. I have failed to do things I ought to have done. And I'm not just sorry about it today. I am sorry, but I want to change. Change me. And I realize it may be three steps forward and two steps back, but be with me as I begin to live my life for you. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me from my sins. Wash them away. And then guide me for the remainder of my days. I want to be faithful. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving my soul. And then help me live faithfully until you call me home someday. In Jesus' name. And with head still bowed and eyes closed, let me tell you what's happening right now in heaven. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, they're calling your name. It's being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The angels are celebrating. The heavenly hosts are singing your name. They're excited that you're coming. Now, live faithfully until you see them in heaven. If you got a brand new car, you'd want people to see it. If you're giving your heart to Jesus, you want to want people to know it. In a moment, we're going to stand. And there'll be pastors down here. There'll be prayer warriors down here. They would be honored to hear about your decisions so they'll know how to pray for you now. So I'm going to ask you just to come, would you? Come for prayer. If you need prayer right now, we'd be happy to pray for you. If you want to pray for a lost loved one, come on down. Just whatever God tells you to do. Do what Dick Honorecker did when God spoke to him. Just be obedient. It'll be the right thing. Always. Thank you, Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, direct each one of us. This is a day and a moment for decision for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, would you? Pastor will be here. Others will join him. Pastors, just come on. If you want prayer, you want to come and pray for a lost loved one down here, whatever God's telling you to do, come on. If you've given your heart to Jesus this morning, men, women, boys, girls, Come on down. Tell us about it. We won't ask you to turn around and speak or anything. We just want to know personally about your decision. Come on. Come to Jesus. Come on. One of God's favorite words is come. Come.
speaking to you today, you, you of course can make decisions right where you are. Sometimes there's something meaningful about sharing it with someone else. So see, you're not in it alone. They know to pray for you and they will pray for you. So is God speaking to you today? Just bow your head and, and ask God who you need to pray for. Maybe yourself, but it may be uh, just maybe your next door neighbor lived next door for years but the truth is you know where you're going and they don't love them into heaven pray for them right now come give your heart to Christ let's give the angels something to sing about this morning don't miss this chance guys don't miss it Why not revival here? Why not now? If you need to sit down, you just go right ahead and do that. God can hear you sitting down. is going to come and conclude our service as the Lord leads him. But a personal word uh, before I take my leave, I'm going to go out in the lobby there and visit with you if we get a chance. But I may not get to meet you out there. There's a lot of you and there's only one of me. So I would say to you this morning, if I don't get to meet you here, one day I want to see you there. And may God be with you until that day. What a powerful morning it's been. And I want to tell you, God's, uh, God's heart is wide open uh, to everyone. He, he desires all people to be saved, your children, your children's children, your family, your friends. And uh, we're going to believe that with you. We're going to pray that with you. I just want to say this today because uh, we're going to leave in just a moment. But I say this often, and, and it's, it's important, so I want to say it again, is that the most important relationship you will ever have in this life is your relationship with God. Because it's your relationship with God that not only determines the direction of this life, it determines the direction of eternity. 
And the only way to have a relationship with God, because we blow it, we're full of sin and garbage, the only way is through Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sin. And that's what he was sharing with you today. And I just want to tell you, we have these packets up here. They're on the altar. They're here every service, but I just want to make these available to you. They're free. they got a Bible in them, a devotional, some prayers, some telling you what, how to follow God. It's all in there. It's free. Just after service, just come up and take one. Just, just take it. There's a card in there if you want to fill that out. Let us know that you made a decision today. You can send that to the church or give it to one of the pastors here. Uh, but that's there for you this morning. I don't know about you, but I have a renewed passion to begin to pray and share my faith.